Hey guys, I got Beth here from Made for TV Movie Podcast. We're going to be reviewing sneakers. Go on ahead, go on ahead, rate us on Apple uh, Podcasts, Google uh, Google Podcasts, and of course on on Good Pods as well. And then of course rank us on Spotify. That actually allows other people to find us. And we're going to be reviewing our our movie review of sneakers. So let's go on ahead. Let's get on with the show. And we are back. So I have Beth. How are you doing, Beth? It's been a while. I know. Thanks for having me back, John. I'm really excited to be back on. Right. And we've been trying to get this <laughs> sneakers <I> review <laughs> done for a while. But, you know, here we are. We finally made it to our review. And so with that being said, let's just dive right up into this thing. Right. This, All right. So I'm going to go on ahead in case anybody doesn't know this. I'm just going to give a little bit of a uh, synopsis of the film. And then after that, we're going to start dissecting this thing. This was actually my first time watching Sneakers. So that's going to be an interesting take. But I'm going to let uh, Beth ask me what I thought about the film in a minute. But uh, this actually starts out in 1969 where students Martin uh, Bryce and Cosmo are sneakers who hack into computer networks to finance socialist organizations when Martin leaves for pizza. How convenient. Cosmo gets arrested, <laughs> forcing Martin to become a fugitive. And then it goes into present day, basically, where now Martin has his own organized team of people. And basically what he winds up doing is, he is he's like a higher on where he basically just looks at their at people's security systems, see if they can be breached, can't see if what they need to work on, see if they can't be breached. And then he gets paid for it that way. But then the NSA goes on ahead and finds him. And now he's on the run from the NSA. And so. This is actually a pretty fun movie. At first, I thought it was going to be a comedy because it had Dan Aykroyd in this movie, and it kind of throws you for a loop. It has a little bit of comedy in it. But you know what, Beth? I'm glad that you recommended this movie because I did enjoy it. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, and it, a, it has a two-hour-long runtime, and this is weird for 1992. Yeah. But you don't even feel the runtime. I didn't no. feel it because I was so sucked into it. Mm-hmm. And this was also a movie that was ahead of its time because if you look at it now, it's exactly how they depicted in 1992, where you have this box and basically it leaks out information into conversations that people are having and things like that. Organizations, rich people, they don't they don't want certain things leaked out. Now we see certain things happening within this world that we live in in 2022. So this movie is definitely ahead of its time. For sure. And the technology that didn't really exist at the time but it does today and it's so you're right it's like it's so forward looking and and if they even remade it today you have to wonder like how much would they even need to change about it you know what i mean because it's so spot on but that actually reminded me of another robert redford movie called three days of the condor which is a whole different conversation we'll have another day but um one thing i thought was really interesting john was when i was doing this research one of the writers wrote um um war games and i didn't realize it and so when when you look at this film you definitely get sort of an 80s vibe now mm-hmm. you may not because i cuz cuz i lived through the 80s and i saw this film in theater so i remember but there is kind of this big sort of government is bad theme from the 80s and in almost every action movie there is or, or a lot of them or anyway it's always the russians yeah i was russians. gonna say that it's true it's true because we had just gotten out of a cold war when this movie came out so when they wrote it they were smack dab in the middle of it um but you're right like it that that's just kind of 
the vibe of the of the film of the era and it was just I just love this film. I saw it with my mom in the theater because she loves Robert Redford. So she was like, drag me along. And I was like, oh, River Phoenix? Okay. Because <laughs> he was my age. <laughs> okay. You so. see, I grew up, uh, I was born in 85. But still, I to be honest with you, I actually did feel like this was like war games. Yes. But a war games at a different, at a different angle where it's actually amplified up to 10. Yes. And everything. Well, I, I think probably that might be because when War Games came out, I don't think Ali Sheedy or um, Matthew Broderick were not huge names. They weren't the stars they are today or were even five years after that movie came out. But when Sneakers came out, I mean, Ben Kingsley, Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, River Phoenix, they were huge, huge movie stars at that time. It was like, you know, let's get the best players we can and put this in the movie and make it. What surprises me, though, John, is that this movie is not, it's not as like, it's not on list, like best of, you know, kind of 90s comedy Mm-mm. or or um, action or anything. You don't really even see it anymore. No, which this I, is, which a, is surprising. Well, to be honest with you, I remember as a kid seeing the poster for Sneakers, but not knowing what this movie was about. Because when you're a kid, you don't think, okay, I want to see a, <laughs> we, we want to check out this movie. Right. But this has more of a government suspense kind of feel to it. And I really enjoyed it. And then, yeah. of course, the chemistry is just spot on. Oh, I mean, come on. You have Sidney Poitney in this movie. Oh. You have you have Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley with hair. I'm just yeah. going to point that out. <laughs> uh, Mary, Mac- <laughs> Mary McDonald. Then you have River Phoenix, like you said. And then David uh, Stratum. And I just want to say, if those characters didn't have the chemistry, this movie wouldn't be what it is. You're right. You're right. Especially in that scene, like towards the end, kind of like that scene where they're celebrating and Sidney mm-hmm. Portier's character has his wife and that kind of thing. I mean, the chemistry felt palpable there. You can feel it. Like yeah, it really did. And I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's because they're that good of, an, of actors or they really were friends, but you could totally, the casting was, was, brilliant for this movie really was because it wasn't a huge i mean i think it did really well but it wasn't like you know a rocky or something like that no. it was but it was like this great little film and i actually had forgotten about it until Sidney portier died and i was thinking about what my and i think we even talked about this at one point like our favorite Sidney portier movie this yeah. was i mean he made so many good ones and they were also good and some of them were probably more like lasting as far as the message they gave, but I just really liked him in this one. I liked them all in this one. Me too. And my my favorite scene is probably whenever they're ci- trying to decipher the code itself. And they said, and of course like, the code winds up saying uh, secrets. And I'm like, okay, this is very on the nose to the point where everybody in that whole entire friendship has their own secrets as to why they were let go. So yes. you're th- so it's very foreshadowing on that part, which is something that I really do appreciate from the film itself, because of the fact that you're uh, uh, my angle went with the friends. My um, but here's the thing though, it goes deeper than that. It goes to government secrets. It goes through different types of secrets. Correct. Yes, I agree. 
And we also have, um, I guess we haven't mentioned this, we have Timothy Busfield, too, who always plays, like, the guy you don't really know is a bad guy until you know he's a bad guy. He's really good at that, and that's the role he played in this one, which I kind of liked. I mean, again, really well casted. My favorite scene was when David Stratum's character was driving. Oh, that, yeah. That was just, I, to me, that was so funny. And then <laughs> just every... <laughs> So his character is blind and, and they have him driving because he's the only one in the van at the time. Everybody's off doing something else, but well, they have to make an escape. Right. So they're telling him where to go. It's just, it's so funny. It definitely is. That's actually one of my favorite parts, but you also forget that he's doing blind though too. Yeah. Because he's actually deciphering the code and he's doing the embryo. But at the same time though, you kind of forget that he's actually blind because he's able to do all this stuff. Yes. And you're forgetting yeah. that aspect to it. Then all of a yeah. sudden, you, we wind up seeing Roger Redford trying to teach him how to drive while Sidney Pone and the other characters actually held, held that gunpoint. Yeah. And, and I like how he's basically excited because of the fact that he's driving. He's oh, my God, I am driving. Yeah. And... <laughs> Of course, he's going over bumps, <laughs> crashing into cars. But, you know, uh, but another thing I want to say, though, is this, though, is whenever it goes into the motivation of the villain, which is Ben Kingsley's character. Yeah. I love how they dived into that because now you've had motivation to a person that felt like that he was actually backstabbed by his crew. Yes. Because of what Roger Redford did, which was leave him. Yeah. And I mean, I think that was a kind of a really great twist to the movie because you weren't expecting that at all. You're not expecting like I didn't expect to see him back in the movie after he gets arrested. And I mean, I guess I guess I should have realized that. And I'm also trying to remember what it was the first time I watched it was in in 1991 when it came out or 92 when it came out. But when I rewatched it again, I also had forgotten because I I don't think I've seen this movie that many times between then and now because it's not on cable or direct TV or it's not showing. And I don't think it's I mean, I I think I watched it on Amazon. I feel like I did. It's not like streaming on Netflix or anything. No. So it's not like just there showing up in your feed saying, watch me. No, it definitely isn't. And if anybody is wondering where they can actually watch this at, I rented this for four bucks on YouTube. Okay, so, I think I think I rented it on Amazon, but it might have been YouTube. I can't remember because it was the we were originally supposed to review this like a month ago, so it was a little while since I was, yeah. we've had a little <laughs> had a little issues like trying to coordinate. But <laughs> hey, but here we are. That's all. That here matters. we are. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> a month later, but hey, a hey. movie reviewer is never late nor right. is he early. He arrives just as he means to. Movie's not so, going anywhere. <laughs> no, definitely not. But another thing, though, too, is like after performing their services for the bank, Martin is also approached by the NSA. Yeah. But here's the thing. I like how Dick Gordon and Buddy Wallace, he, they just go on ahead and they recover the black box, but they don't have any idea what this black box is. And so there's that mystery element of, OK, what could this be? Did we stumble on to something that uh, what, what could this be? And then all of a sudden you see the blind character. He's going through it. Oh, do you want to shut down New England? Do you want to shut down the lights on New England? You want to do this? Do you want to do that? I, my mind starts thinking about all the events that happened over the course of the years with certain blackouts, 
and things like that. Next thing you know what, I become a conspiracy theorist all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, that's a great thing about this movie is that it really could make you a conspiracy theorist because you're like, what? But I mean, it, it's funny too because those moments in this film do kind of have that war games feel. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like yeah. you know, plugging into the government and, and what the government can do and or what we think. And so it's funny I didn't make that connection because once I realized that, I totally saw it. But I didn't mm-hmm. realize it an initial viewing or anything like that. I, I didn't know that. So, but I like that because War Games is, uh, again, one of my favorite movies of the 80s. Matthew Broderick, he was cute. He was my age. So, what are, we, what are you going to do? I got to go see a movie he's in. <laughs> I mean, I would still today. <laughs> right. But I like Matthew Broderick, though, and I like yeah. War Games. War Games is actually my favorite movie from the 80s as well. But also, too, I want to talk about Liz for a minute, which is, uh, of course, one of my favorite characters in this film, because she gets sucked into this because of Roger Redford. And just because I'm doing this doesn't mean we're going to get back together again. Just No, I'm not asking you to get back together with me. That's not what I have in mind. I just need your help because the because I need to get this my record sponged and everything. And I need this thing to do. I need to go on ahead and get that taken care of. So, you know, I thought that was very interesting about how she just joins up with them. And, you know, even though that she doesn't really want to, but she wants to help out Roger Refford. So I thought that was actually pretty cool how she helps out Bishop. Yeah, I think I, I love that scene in the restaurant, too, where she's trying to get the guy to um, say the words so they can get into the building with the voice activator. I thought that was really clever. And then. I mean, I think her her character was interesting because her character got to do a lot of stuff. You know what I mean? Like she Mm -hmm. had, she wasn't just like, oh, here's a female in a movie. Isn't she pretty? Everybody wants her. She had stuff to do in this movie. And I liked that. But I liked it like like when she took the, when she was back at his apartment and she took the wallet and (laughs) dropped it out the window. And then that kind of almost blew up in her face. I, I thought that was really clever. I thought her character was really cleverly written. And I liked how she worked with everybody. And she seemed to have a big familiarity with them and knew them all. So I think she was da- her character was dating um, Bishop during the time at least he was still with this group earlier. Because I think, wasn't that, she, she was his ex-girlfriend, I think. Or not ex-wife, yeah. ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. And also, too, that's also how Ben Kingsley made the connection. He's like, wait a second. Remember? He's like, wait a second. I know you. And then that's, of course, when her cover gets blown. But I like, I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with you, with you on that one, Beth, because of the fact that they gave her more to do. Because back in the 90s, all they cared about was long, tall, slender, blonde women yeah. who were there just for over-sexualization, doesn't right. do anything to motivate the plot. Right. And this one, they give this woman a lot to do. And that's something I really do appreciate. Yeah. And I mean, even though her character, I mean, I, get, I, would, I guess I was going to say her character isn't a big character in this movie but it kind of is but it's an important pivotal character like you couldn't take her out actually that's the one thing about this movie I liked you couldn't really take any of these characters out of the movie and still have the movie function the way it did because every single one in Bishop's group had a part to play in that entire in their operation like they all had their strengths that worked together and so she was definitely a character who for sure was different than a lot of characters in the movies. And in the eighties, it was almost worse because um, like, 
the nineties, I think the women got a little more sophisticated in movies, but in the eighties, that that may or may not have been the the case. I mean, we, you know, for instance, Porky's, you know, <laughs> exactly. Um, Cottrell, Cottrell, is it Kim Cottrell? Um, Kim Cottrell. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of the role. And and I'm not, I don't want to, you know, say there's, make any statement about it. I'm just saying it was fun to see a um, a brunette, smart woman on screen. Same. I'm, I'm happy to see that. Also, too, we actually, that, that guy played in another Michael J. Fox movie, which was The Secret of My Success. It was like a really snobby, rich office person that he plays. Which and it seems oh wait okay I was thinking I was thinking Doc Hollywood but no because you and I reviewed no. Doc Hollywood right. the secret of my success I did see but it's been probably forty years <laughs> <laughs> it's actually my other favorite Michael J Fox film but every single yeah. when you see this actor shows up he plays a snob and this is exactly who he plays in this one he just plays a nerdy snob yeah who winds up going on this date but I like how Bishop winds up telling Liz hey look. You need to go on ahead. This guy's after uh, anal people that are anal, girls yeah. that are anal, and all of a sudden he just turns, and looks at, turn, looks at Liz, <laughs> and so now Liz's out on a blind date with this guy that she doesn't really want to go with. <laughs> yes, I love that. I like his. I like him. I don't remember him in the Secret of My Success, but if anyone else is wondering, he plays Principal Ball in the Goldbergs. That's right. He does. Yeah. Okay. And I don't, I don't know if he's been, a, I haven't watched a lot of, I still have a bunch to watch this season. So I don't know if he's been on this season, but that's who he, people would probably recognize him as most. But I also wanted to say, John, you know, the, one of the first times I saw Mary McDonald was actually in a movie with David Stratum called Evidence of Blood. It was a, an indie flick in the late nineties. It's, it's a great film. It's hard to find, although my sister said it's on Amazon now, which is awesome. If you ever get a chance, it's totally character driven. And that movie actually helped me find one of my very favorite authors. Cause it was written. It was based on a book written by an author named Thomas H. Cook. So I just wanted to plug that because he's one of my favorite authors. And, um, and I thought it was interesting that Mary McDonald and David Stratum, Stratham were both in this, they both starred in that movie. So evidence of blood, I think it came out in like 97, 96, somewhere, somewhere around there. Okay. Uh, so let's see here. I want to also mention this, though, too. Cindy Portnay, I liked how uh, he, he wants to take his wife to Tahiti and things like that. And, you know, and then, of course, Dan Aykroyd was also playing Mother. That's also another thing that I find hilarious, though, too. But I like how Cindy Portnay is just owning this role and how smooth he is. He is he, so, he's, like, regal and gracious and just... He, I love him. He's his his presence is so commanding. I just loved him in this movie, and he plays that XCIA so good. And yeah. I liked how finally we get the roots to it. Of oh, you want to know why I was gone? Why I got kicked out of C the CIA? Why? Because of my anger problem. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, and I, I like his wife too. I thought that was a nice scene when she was on in there. But I do think, like you were saying earlier, I love the the dichotomy between him and and mother because mother is sort of just kind of a I don't know. He looks like he maybe changes his clothes once a week, and you know, kind of just is right. like whatever. You know, eh, I don't care. I am who I am. But you're right. It, it it's interesting that they chose Dan Aykroyd for that role, but 
I can't think of anybody else who could have played it as well as him. Maybe, maybe Bill Murray, but I, I don't even know. It, it was definitely, I feel like they wrote that, that role for him. Same. I think that was actually a perfect role for Dan Aykroyd, especially coming off the hype from Ghostbusters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, and then, you know, he has also played in Blues Brothers, but that was years before. But yeah. you need somebody that will actually have, chops that you can actually balance off of each other but you're not sure how it was actually going to go with roger redford in him because and this is what i was thinking beth now tell me tell me what you think about this okay so we have the old school actor roger redford and we also have another old school uh actor sydney pone now we have the new age in the 90s which is our our generation which is our edward blues our you know our Dan Aykroyd. Yes. And then we also have these other young actors. So you have a blend of new age mixed in with old age acting. Yeah. And you're not sure how it's going to balance out, but I like how they clash it together and wrote the script and it balanced each other out. Yeah. And- yeah. Right. And I, there is definitely an age difference between Robert Redford, Sydney party. I don't know how, dif- I don't know how close in age those two are, but they, they both really became famous in the same era. And then you have River Phoenix, who at the time was maybe 21. He might not have even been 21 yet. I'm trying to think. 91? No. He probably was just around 21. If he He's pretty much my age. At 79, so 20 or 21. I mean, there's a pretty big age difference. And they did balance. You're right. They balanced it out really well. But I think that's because they worked so carefully through the characters and it might be because it took them 10 years to write this film or or close to that because if they started it when war games was being written it could have been 10 years in the writing close to it somewhere around five to ten so they really fleshed the characters out so well but you can see it in the performances because of who they hired to play the characters most definitely and then also, too, uh, another thing is, too, with Cosmo, Cosmo is basically your uh, version of, what's the word I'm thinking of, a conspiracy theorist, in a sense, mm-hmm. because of the fact that he has his glass, he goes, look, I can't talk here, and then he points, I'm like, dude, it's your own office. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Don't tell him that! <laughs> you're the one who put your own cameras in your own office. <laughs> So why are you so afraid of your own security? This is a guy that's then he also has a, like a glass, uh, not a glass house, basically, but a glass window where basically you can come in and talk privately with nobody else hearing, which he was probably maybe the only person in his office that actually he has in. He's probably so panicky that he would be the only one in there. Nobody else yeah. would even go there. So I'm like, okay, so you have this for no apparent reason either. So <laughs> You're rich now. You're still pissed off at Bishop and the crew, but the plot motivation. And I told I told people this too, and I'm using Venom as an example. As long as you have plot motivation for the villain, and the, even though it may sound cheesy, but as long as the villain is believable enough for you to believe, and as long as that plot motivation is there, I'm sold. As long yeah. as the as long as it makes sense. Yeah. And this Cosmo plays a good villain. Yeah. And he won't kill his friends <laughs> despite the fact that they left him, but yeah. he still get somebody else to do it. Just that's just gangster, but yeah. still. Yeah. That 
that very first scene, I think, was a good way to set up that movie. And so in a way to set him up to be the villain. But it really, if the writing hadn't been good, they really could have messed that up and made you, the, the viewer, like not like Bishop and then maybe be like, okay with Cosmo because after all he kind of was the first I mean how do I don't want to say he was a victim because he was committing illegal acts when they got caught but he but also that was a douche caught. move yeah like that, was a dick, was. that was a dick move that was a dick but move, I think though. in the same situation we all would have done the same thing right <laughs> I mean I think Ooh, I would have okay maybe you wouldn't have done I would have ran <laughs> Yeah, I would be like, like, here's the thing. I wouldn't be worried about pizza. I'd be like, uh, okay, dude, you said you'd be gone in like 30 minutes. It's been close to an hour. I'm going to check out. Have a good rest of your night. Yeah. And it had that, like, that whole beginning scene also had kind of like that whole Watergate feel to it, like breaking into the office yeah. late at night, you know. But it also was kind of ahead of its time, even for the 90s, writing that down, writing it back for the 60s, that, you know, for the, for the 60s too, it was it was pretty forward, like in what they were doing, you know, cause I, I don't know. I just thought it was just so clever from beginning to end, but I, I liked Cosmo and I, and I, and I, I mean, I, I just didn't, I understood his, I understood why he was doing what he was doing. I, I kind of did, even though he were not supposed to like him, I kind of didn't hate him. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't hate this villain at all. I found him more hysterical than anything. I found him funny because of the fact that he's basically just a conspiracy theorist that happens to have this black box. And a lot of money. (laughs) A lot of money. And that's all all he has. And get this, he should be being on cloud nine because Roger Redford's character, Bishop, doesn't have anything. No. No, I mean, even for as hard as they work and as much as they work and what they do, they don't seem to have a lot of money or they must put it all back into the business to, like, keep their technology up or something. Because you didn't get the feeling that any of them had, like, you know, Sidney Poitier's Poitier's character wanted to go to Tahiti. So, obviously, they don't have, like, go to Tahiti money. I don't know how much it costs to go to Tahiti. I wouldn't say no to a trip there, but, I mean, it's expensive, I'm sure. So, yeah, you get this feeling that there's not, even though he got away with the crimes or didn't get caught or whatever, he still wasn't raking in the dough. No, definitely not. And then, you know, I, I like also, too, whenever they decide, okay, you know what? We can't trust the government. So what we're going to do is we're going to go on ahead and call up the NSA or the FBI and do a thing where they can't trace us. And they only had like a 10 second window before they actually got traced because they were bouncing signals uh, in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And so I liked how they played off of that. And then you see, and then of course they're also doing the lie detector test though too, that uh, mother was doing. Yes. And then I like how Liz is giving them that look is like, really with the lie <laughs> detector thing and stuff like that. <laughs> but, but then it's like, okay, we got to hurry up. And everything. We only have 10 seconds. Okay, well, will you guarantee us safety? We cannot trust him. We have to go. Because he was telling the truth up until the point where he winds up asking the person who was in charge of all the stuff that does deals with astronomy and stuff. Mm -hmm. With the security over there. And basically, point blank, without the box, they don't have any guarantee of protection. So therefore, they have to break into Cosmo's office. But the thing is, 
Bishop doesn't even remember how he even got there and leave it to a blind man to teach him how to be blind and being able to pay attention to certain sounds. Yeah. And I loved, I loved how they, I loved how they had his character so in tune to sounds. And I mean, because remember they also, there was that when he was, um, when he said that the geese, what did he say that sounded like? Um, Oh, I can't remember. Was it people? Um, there was a horn, a stadium, like a, or I, well, I can't. There was a no, Golden Gate remember. Bridge. There was yeah. a Golden Gate Bridge, and then there was also the foghorn. Yeah, that I, was also but, two things. Yes, and that, but that, and then he was able to figure. I mean, he he just could do so much with with the the gift that he had, and I loved that, and I thought that was really well played throughout the movie, and I think it took the movie to a really such a high level of just complex complexity that. I just loved it. I, I love, I love, I'm a huge fan of his too. I mean, there was, there isn't anybody in this movie I'm not a fan of, but I love, I love David Stratum. I love River Phoenix. I love Robert Redford. I love Sidney Poitier. That's why I wanted to do this movie and talk about it. Cause they're just all so good, but the characters that were mm -hmm. written were so, they were written so well. Definitely. And I like how if one character is weak in one area, you have another character that can pick up on that weakness and be their backup. And then that character has a weakness. The other person also has their back too. Yeah. So I like that as a counterbalance thing. And then yeah. also too, I was not expecting James Earl Jones to show up. <laughs> but then again, he's been in every single eighties movie that you can think of. I know uh, he's, he's so great though. His presence is amazing. I loved him. I love him. Especially my, my favorite part though, is this everybody's wanting stuff. From him after they get, they get they give him the black box, <laughs> and so the only thing Roger Redford wants Bishop wants is his record to be sponged. I'm like, wait a second, you just went through the NSA to get one hundred seventy five thousand dollars for your team. Why didn't you ask for your stuff to get sponged off and get your one hundred seventy five thousand dollars, which can be broken into sections for your team? Yeah. And, but then again, I remember whenever uh, Sonny Pone told the other guy, the other guy, though, goes, look, this is the home run. You don't, you don't just ask for somebody's number. Yeah, and I remember Phoenix's character did. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> he just wanted her phone number. Just wanted the F, oh, it was FBI, right? Was that FBI yeah. at that point? This gets so confusing with some of the agencies who may or may not even be real agencies. But I just thought that was so cute. He's like, just want the phone number. <laughs> right? And then the girl's so moved by it and was like taken back. Wait, out of everything that you can ask for, you just want my number? Yeah. She just winds up giving it to him on the fly. And then you wind up seeing Sonny Pone. He goes, okay, my wife has never been to Europe. No, I'm not taking your taking you to Europe. Just come on. I, I, I want to go to Europe. I want to go to uh, Tahiti. And he's like, I'm not doing it. And then, of course, Bishop goes, if you don't, we don't give you the black box. And then some things might get leaked out on the Internet. Well, not the Internet, but might be yeah. leaked out. <laughs> but <laughs> I catch myself doing that, though, through this whole thing. And I forget, I grew up in the 90s, but I'm thinking with a 2022 mindset. Yes. But, but you know, uh, then we also get into River Phoenix's character, though, too, yet again, where I remember uh, something else that he winds up doing. 
And, that, you know, of course, he winds up asking for the number, but the girl winds up giving it to him. And then all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, you know, he's happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I like this character. His character's a little understated, but he, he I, I liked it like when he was up in the uh, in the ceiling, like, you know, shimmied around trying to figure that out. And I just I, th- I, I love I don't know. I just can't say enough about how much I love it. Like and watching it again just made me feel very nostalgic for old movies that just are. I don't know, lovely. Like they don't make movies like that anymore. Although, did you get? I, I mean, now that I think about, once I was thinking about it, I wonder how much of an influence the Italian job had from that movie. Because if you think about the coincidences, it, not the coincidences, but the um, the comparisons between the two, there's not really a lot of them. And I'm trying mm-hmm. to think the Italian job would have come out when the '98, late '90s, early 2000s. Early 2000s is there's when the. Rem- Matter of fact, the Italian job is actually a remake of a yes. movie. Yes. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so, so actually, that means that sneakers could have been an influence of the original Italian job. Actually, right. And then that then the remake of the Italian job could be a, a thing of bolt models. Right. But but if you think about it though, Cosmo is basically uh, what's the Edward no, Norton's uh, character? Oh, Edward Norton. Yeah. The villain uh, Cosmo reminds me of Edward Norton's character. He's yeah. so smart and rich, but he's also dumb at yeah. the same time. Yeah, yeah. I didn't like Edward Norton's character though. He was I he's very was snarky. Like, oh, I want to, I want to hit you in the face. But, but I didn't hate. He plays but, you're right. but you're, but you're absolutely right though. I mean, there are a lot of comparisons between the two, especially when you talk about like them having money, them being the villains, having like personal motivation. It's, it was just an interesting thing that that actually like when I was thinking about it today, I was like, gosh. You know, that reminds me of the Italian job. But you're right. I forgot that that was a remake as well from the original, which probably would have come out in the 70s. So definitely before sneakers. Yeah, definitely before sneakers. Definitely be- before the 2000s uh, Italian job. But still still a fun time. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think I got all the points that I wanted to talk about with this film. I mean, what about you? Is there anything else? I think, no, I just wanted to say that I really enjoyed this and, um, and I would say that I would really recommend that people who haven't, haven't seen it, watch it. I mean, we've, we've done a lot of, we've reviewed a lot of movies together and I think this is probably the, my favorite one of all of them. Although if you'd asked me before we started reviewing, I, I would have made it maybe made a different list. It's funny how when you get to 2022 and you're looking back on movies that are so old, how some of that can change. But I think this one really held up. I think it was really well written, really clever, great, 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 great casting. And I just think people should watch it because it's a kind of it's a feel good movie and it's funny. And you were right about the two hour time span. You don't feel it. You don't no. feel it at all. It goes. It goes very fast. Most definitely, because I was glued in and enticed into the storyline, mm-hmm. and I didn't even feel it. Some two-hour movies, like okay, I get it. Get me yeah, out of like, here. Oh, are we done? That's actually how I felt with the movie Ambulance with Michael Bay. I never saw that one. It's a new movie that just came out, but okay. Michael Bay got a little too happy with his drone, and my co-host Alex got motion sickness from the drone. <laughs> but, but. It got to the point where it's like, okay, get on with it already. We get it. They're hill hostage in an ambulance. What's gonna we need? Come on, just go ahead and wrap this thing up. Yeah, yeah. And, I, but this funny. one I didn't feel that. 
It's funny you say that. This is completely kind of unrelated, but my husband and I went with another couple last weekend to see um, the 25th anniversary of Riverdance. Oh, about nice. about 10 minutes in, I was ready for it to be done. <laughs> you know, I mean, you just don't need two hours of it. But this movie, two hours is good. I would have I would have gone to see a part two if there was. A, they should have made a sequel. I wish. They I had. agree. I wish they another had. Th- another thing too, Beth, is this this bo- this movie only had a budget of twenty three million. Wow, that's really small. And when you consider how much of that went to probably paying the actors. Well, here's the thing. Back in those days, though, oh, we you wouldn't have signed up for yeah. Here's the thing. Back in those days, we didn't have comic book movies. We didn't have. It was on a different scale on how you make movies today. Because that would actually, this movie would actually cost maybe 150 million to make, given the cast, given their popularity, and if they were still around making movies today, this and would marketing. actually and marketing and everything else. Because a third of that, people don't realize this. Yes, if you see a movie that makes bank. A third of that goes into uh, the box office. The movie theaters don't really make that much money. No. Everything is all for concession stands and stuff like that. But you take a third of that away, that's how much the movie actually makes. And it goes through the PR departments, pay the actors, actors, makeup people, and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's another thing. That's another factor. Yeah, that's a great point. And to that point, I think, I'm trying to think. So the really... Would you consider Batman with Michael Keaton be really the first movie, like comic book movie, that would have been in '85? Yeah. So you're talking about five years earlier. You're right. It wasn't. It wasn't what it is today. It was barely mm-hmm. starting. And I'm not even sure if they were like, oh, we should. I don't know if they were thinking sequel when they made that movie. They obviously did make well, sequels. Well, here's the thing. In '88, this is off topic, but I like yeah, doing no, this go, stuff. Go ahead. I'm I'm game. Okay, back in 1988. And also, too, in Batman Returns, the reason why they killed off their villains was because of the fact that they didn't audiences they didn't think that audience would go back and want to watch another Batman movie or anything like that. So therefore, they would kill off their villains and not give them story arcs after uh, after a certain point. But we also got to see Catwoman at the very end of Batman Returns, thinking that she would actually return, but that never even happened. But yeah. but still, they didn't put forth any more effort than what they did in the early on in 1988 batman or in the 90s when um, michael keaton so therefore the budgeting is different then you also have to look at marketing and stuff like that but yeah it's a different way of looking at the scale on how you would make movies compared yeah. to how, how it is today yeah i'm gonna say that i don't think in in the 80s when they when they conceived this that it was going to become what it is today right um the the comic book universe that that's out there i mean it's it's that it's just endless the amount of things that you can do with movies now and i don't i just don't think that was that was what they were thinking i mean it would be great to go back and talk to somebody who was a part of creating that and see what like what their thought was and also it would have i mean today it still takes a long time because of special effects and things like that but i i think it took a long time to film those those movies completely compared to how we do it today, especially when you consider you, they just didn't have a lot of CGI and, and, oh. and the kinds of things that they have today at their at the beck and call to be able to do some of the things. So it was all like, you know, smoke and mirrors back then, really. Exactly. And also, too, I, I, I don't normally do um, I don't normally do this, but I, I just was kind of wondering what Rotten Tomatoes scale was, right? Mm-hmm. So this actually has 
on on Rotten Tomatoes with 52 critics. The website concept states there isn't much to sneakers plot, and that's more than made up for with the film's breezy, patchy, and high-tech lingo. I disagree with that. Me too. I totally disagree with that. I feel like whoever wrote that didn't see the movie. Me too. I feel like maybe this might be a critic that's basically pointing their views out in 2022. Yeah. And comparing his movies to now instead of looking on a on a Richter scale of movies that we got back in the 90s. Someone yeah. like us would actually give it about an 80 to 90%. Don't get me wrong, 79% is still fresh, but yeah. also too, it kind of leans into more of a it still is a C minus versus a B. Exactly. I, I disagree with that. I, I think that's too bad. I think I, I agree. I think whoever they're putting on the lens of 2022 or, tw- you know, the aughts and looking back and saying, well, it didn't. But even still, it has a really good plot. I mean, there's there's a lot of movies that did a lot better with a lot less, like with a Definitely. lot crappier storyline than that than this one had. I thought this one was pretty I don't know. No, now I feel like maybe I'm not as smart as I think I am. No, <laughs> this this movie was good, man. Don't don't let Rotten you. Tomatoes fool you. Rotten Tomatoes, okay. you're not gonna fool me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, guys, that's gonna do it for our show for today. If you want to follow Beth and everything, all her links and everything is in the description below for you guys to go ahead and do that. And there's the hashtag right there. Right, and by the way, tomorrow not tomorrow. Get yourself some merch because tomorrow's the last day on the 26th. That's it. That's the cutoff. There's not going to be any more Top Gun shirts. I on ordered sale. mine. Order your Top Gun shirt. I ordered mine. I can't wait for it to come. I'm super excited. I can't. To be honest with you, I ordered myself a t-shirt as yeah. well. I so may have to I order can't... another one because that's my fav- husband's favorite movie and he might awesome. take it if I if I just have one. I should go so, and get another one because otherwise we're going to be fighting over it. There you go. I don't want to worry at your house or anything like that. You don't want to worry <laughs> Or at your own house whenever you're uh, buying a Top Gun t-shirt. So go on ahead and get yourself 10 t-shirts if you want one. to. Yeah. So go on ahead. Get another one. All right. Always until next time, guys. Tomorrow night, I have Rossi with me. I have Alex with me. We're going to be doing our Godfather rewatch. So go on ahead and do that and check us out tomorrow night, eight o'clock, 9 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific Time for that one. And always until next time, guys, have a great and safe night. Thank you again, Beth. And Thanks, John. Anytime, Beth. And bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.